Welcome to the Jesus Christ, Our Savior and Redeemer podcast, presented by BYU Speeches, featuring BYU devotionals and forums that testify of Christ's teachings, His life, ministry, and mission, and His sacred atonement. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts, or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. As I mentioned previously, we're pleased to have Sister Barbara Heisey as our speaker this morning. Professor Heisey has been a nurse for the past 27 years, and in addition to being a family nurse practitioner, is also a psychiatric mental health clinical nurse specialist. She has also had extensive experience in psychiatry and gerontology. Dr. Heisey received her Ph.D. in nursing from the University of Virginia and moved to Utah in 2005 to take up her current post in the College of Nursing. She is a member of the BYU Gerontology Program Committee. Sister Heisey and her late husband, Joel, have five children, two of whom have also passed on. She lives in Payson, where she teaches gospel doctrine in her ward. And now we'll be pleased to hear from Sister Heisey. I am humbled to be standing here today where so many prophets and servants of our Savior have stood. My primary desire, besides wanting to sit down where you are, (laughs) is to say what the Lord wants me to say. I, I pray that both you and I may feel the Spirit and be edified. When I was 21, I married my eternal companion, although I didn't know that at the time because we were not members of the Church. By the time I was 31, we had joined the Church, had four children, and my husband was very, very sick and was unable to ever work again. We felt prompted that I should go to nursing school so that I could support the family. So I started out as a nurse's aide at a local hospital and then went on to get an associate, a bachelor's, a master's, and doctoral degrees in nursing. I tell you these things not to boast of myself, because I'm no different than you are, but for two reasons. First, to tell you that none of those worldly accolades were possible without the Lord's help, love, and guidance. He never left our side or stopped reaching out for us. And secondly, I want to talk about choices. I've been privileged as a nurse and through many callings to be with individuals and their families at very difficult times. When a loved one just had open-heart surgery, after an adolescent suicide, when a family member hit bottom and they were admitted to a psychiatric unit or a drug treatment program, when sexual abuse was discovered toward children, or in someone's home when a loved one was dying to name just a few experiences. At each juncture, I noticed the choices people made. I have spent hours talking to people who were so angry because things didn't turn out the way they wanted, or they became offended by someone, or they were angry with God. Each time these people made a choice, often they would ask me, Why me? My intent is not to minimize the tribulations that we go through. Our trials are exquisitely powerful and painful in so many ways and very genuine. But the right to choose how we will respond to that adversity is totally ours. So the question remains, why not you? The Lord loves you, and you have the potential to be stronger and more useful in His service 
Or you can choose to let this trial drive a wedge between you and the Savior, exactly what Satan hopes for. We are masters of our choices. In fact, we have already fought a war over the right to choose. We were all there in the pre-mortal existence, in the grand council in heaven. We were not asked which plan was the best for our progression. We were asked, whom shall I send? Jesus said he would obey and follow the plan, which required him to perform the atonement. Jesus volunteered because of his great love for his Father and for us. Throughout his mortal life, Jesus repeatedly gave us his example of his choice, always expressing to the Father, Thy will be done. Satan, on the other hand, sought to take away our freedom to choose, which would entirely negate the plan of happiness. In addition, he wanted all the glory for himself. Heavenly Father chose Jesus. Satan chose to be angry, and a war followed, a battle that is still raging. One-third of our brothers and sisters chose to follow Satan and were cast out, denied the right to receive mortal bodies. All of us here chose the Savior and are here now to be proved and tested to see who we will choose to follow in this life. When challenges come, and come they must because that's why we're here, we choose how we will react. Will we grow toward Christ and our eternal home or not? I have watched as some have chosen to fall away as they succumb to their feelings of being hurt, offended, angry, or when confronted with others' abuse, unfaithfulness, illness, addiction, suicide, and death. Yet when others faced with the same issues choose to allow that trial to stretch them, allowed the Savior to carry them through the trial, sought the Spirit to guide them, and felt of the Savior's love and atonement. Through all of these times, I have noticed that as individuals struggled with whatever was facing them, that if they turned to Jesus Christ and trusted in Him, they were successful in finding the Savior, finding peace, and finding their way. The outcome may not have been always what they wanted, but one thing was certain, they grew stronger, more loving, more trusting, more obedient, and filled with faith, they moved closer to the Savior. Coming here to our second estate is based on choices. If you're going to make a choice, there must be the possibility of more than one choice. How can we appreciate happiness unless we have also felt sadness? There must be opposition in all things. We give up our eternal right to choose when we say, He or she made me angry. I encourage you not to give away your right to choose by handing that power over to someone else. No one can make you angry. You make a choice to respond by being angry or by taking offense. But you can also choose to make the effort to find out what is really going on with that other person and to try to understand their behavior or at least agree to disagree. We make hundreds, maybe even thousands of choices daily. Some may be insignificant, such as what you chose to wear today. However, that same decision might be very significant if you choose to wear shorts and there's a blizzard going on outside. Our choices define who we are. 
It was Alma and the Spirit who converted me to the gospel over 30 years ago. My husband and I felt strongly that we should bring up our daughter with some type of religious background. As we investigated many churches, the Lord sent people to talk to us about the LDS Church. It was back in the days before the three-hour block schedule we now have, and every time we went to the local church building, there was no one there. We thought, this is strange. The Lord sent a member of the church to my husband's place of business in Los Angeles to talk to him about food storage. At the same time, a co-worker and I talked about our desire to find a church, and we found out that she had an LDS babysitter. So we arranged to have a dinner at my co-worker's home and to invite the LDS couple so she, they could teach us more about the church. At the last minute, the LDS couple couldn't make it, but they sent the ward mission leader, and we got to see the film Meet the Mormons, the film strip. But we lived in a different mission. We wanted the full-time missionaries to come teach us the gospel, but our names were lost several times. Finally, our missionaries came. We opened the door and asked them, What took you so long? I will be eternally grateful to Elder Mulford and Elder Wardle for their choice to go on a mission. As I read the Book of Mormon for the first time, Alma 32.27 came so powerfully to me. If you can even experiment upon my words, I could do that. While the choice to join the Church brought some opposition from our extended families, it was and still is the best decision we ever made. After we joined the Church, we continued to nourish the seed. Challenges came. Poverty, the birth of a baby with a handicap, my husband becoming disabled, my going to nursing school and working to support our family. When I graduated as an RN with an associate degree, I was pregnant. We were told the name of that child, but he was stillborn a couple of days before I was to take the national RN NCLEX exam. The Lord was there to help us through. We were taught about unconditional love, survival, obedience, submissiveness to the will of the Lord, and that the Lord was always near to lift us up. Occasionally, I wondered why the Lord was not as near, and I realized He was not the one who had moved away. I had. I taught early morning seminary at 6 a.m. for four years. I love Lehi's vision. When I taught early morning seminary, one of my students painted a full mural about 8 feet by 10 feet on my living room wall of Lehi's vision. It was a great reminder to me of God's love for us, how He desires for us to come home, and actually shows us the way to return. Lehi's vision is really a schematic or blueprint for living in this our second estate. To reach the tree of life and taste of the love of God, we must choose to walk in the straight and narrow path by holding fast to the iron rod. Did you notice that you cannot sit down on the iron rod or the straight and narrow path? You must press forward. Nephi tells us you must press forward with a steadfastness in Christ, having a, bright, perf having a perfect brightness of hope and a love of God in all men. If you shall press forward, feasting, not snacking upon the word of Christ, and endure to the end, behold, thus saith the Father, ye shall have eternal life.
Many will not even enter onto this path, the tall and spacious building people. Or they may start on the path, but when times get tough, for one reason or another, they choose to go off the path. And even those who do make it to the tree of life and taste of God's love may respond to the mocking people on that tall and spacious building by becoming ashamed, resulting in their choice to leave and suffer the consequences of not enduring to the end. When we left Richmond, Virginia, we wallpapered over that mural. I have often wondered what the new owners thought when they took the wallpapers down and saw Lehi's vision. (laughs) We had a son, Seth, who was born with Down syndrome. He loved everyone and would never allow anyone in his presence to get upset or to use the word stupid. He would always tell us, calm down, relax. One day when he was 20, he came to me and he said that he wanted to go home. I said, silly, you are home. He said, no, I want to go to my home far away. Shortly afterward, he was diagnosed with leukemia and was dead seven months later. In those seven months, Seth spent his time helping us to get ready for him to leave. He decorated his entire room from floor to ceiling and all four walls with pictures of rainbows to remind us that God loves us. There were many miracles during those seven months. I will mention only one. My oldest son, David, and his beautiful wife, Leah, were getting married at this time in the Washington, D.C. temple. Seth was very ill, and we knew that he probably didn't have much longer to live. It was a difficult choice for me to choose which son to be with that day, with my son as he was married for time and all eternity, or with my son who was dying. I stayed with Seth, and my husband went with David to the D.C. temple. Seth wanted to go to that reception that night very, very badly. We decided to let him go, just for a few moments, and even planned to take him in a wheelchair, as he was so weak and had difficulty keeping food down. Seth would have none of that. When he got to the reception, he ate what he wanted, and he danced with all the young women there. He didn't want to leave for hours later, but eventually we took him home where he immediately was very sick again, and he died a day later. I learned so much from Seth, particularly about unconditional love. We we chose to look for the spiritual and positive things from this experience, and we found it. Over the 27 years my husband was sick, I noticed that he became stronger spiritually as his physical health declined. He never complained. It still amazes me that despite the literally hundreds of doctor visits, procedures, hospitalizations, surgeries, he did not see himself as sick until the last three months of his life. He always looked for the positive despite being in constant pain. He had some partial amputation of toes. And when people would ask him how he felt, he would say, Well, if the Lord's going to take me a piece at a time, I'm glad he started at that end. (laughs) Which was a quote he heard was attributed to Elder Bruce R. McConkie. He was always looking forward to his renewed, perfect body, even in the last two days of his life, when our dear bishop came to our home and asked him if he had any message for our ward family. Joel quickly replied, He lives. 
But not everyone who has trials seeks for the positive aspects of that learning. A woman I knew came to me complaining that her husband had left her and they were getting a divorce. And she said, I've been active in the Church, always paid my tithing, always accepted any calling, and this is what I get. She chose to leave the Church because she could not look beyond her pain to the lessons to be learned. She chose to be bitter. She chose to look for the negative, and she found it. Sometimes we don't make such great choices. The Lord loves us so much that we can, through applying the power of the Atonement, repent. Accessing the Atonement on a daily basis, even a minute-to-minute basis sometimes, is necessary. We don't have to be perfect. After all we can do, the Savior does the rest. When we repent, we choose to be changed, to be spiritually stronger, and to come closer to the Savior. Choosing to repent, while it does not take away the consequences of our choice, it does turn us around and point us in the direction of the Savior. Elder Jeffrey R. Harlan taught, quote, The soul that comes unto Christ, who knows his voice and strives to do as he did, finds a strength, as the hymn says, beyond his own. The Savior reminds us that he has engraven us upon the palms of his hands. Considering the incomprehensible cost of the crucifixion and the Atonement, I promise you he is not going to turn his back on us now. When he says to the poor in spirit, Come unto me, he means he knows the way out and he knows the way up. He knows it because he has walked it. He knows the way because he is the way. Christ is our GPS system that will guide us successfully back home if we will but choose to follow him. We must, as we have been told many times in the scriptures, choose you this day whom you will serve. Elder Boyd K. Packer taught, quote, Our lives are made up of thousands of everyday choices. Over the years, these little choices will be bundled together and show clearly what we value. The crucial test of life does not center in the choice between fame and obscurity, between wealth and poverty. The greatest decision of life is between good and evil. There really are only two choices. We are either for or against the Savior. The Savior himself said, He that is not with me is against me. You cannot sit on the fence, be neutral or lukewarm in this war. If Satan can get you to sit on the fence and be lukewarm, you are essentially deactivated, out of the battle raging for the souls of men, and not valiant. You have not chosen the Savior. In Doctrine and Covenants 7679, we are warned that if we are not valiant in the testimony of Jesus Christ, we will inherit the terrestrial, not the celestial glory. However, as Nephi tells us, we are always free to choose liberty and eternal life through the great mediator of all men, or captivity and death according to the power of the devil. As we come to love the Savior more and more, we realize that he has given us so much, lending us the very air we breathe, as Mosiah tells us. He has given us scriptures, prayer, the Holy Ghost, the priesthood, Relief Society, family, 
prophets, general authorities, stake and ward leaders, and each of us to help us to return home. As Elder Neil A. Maxwell taught, quote, our wills constitute all we really have to give God anyway. The usual gifts and their derivatives we give to Him could be stamped justifiably return to sender. The vast majority of you have chosen to be here today at this time because of your love of the Savior. You want to be spiritually strong. Me too. President Thomas S. Monson said, We need not feel that we must be without fault in order to receive the blessings of God. He will take us from where we now stand if we will come to Him. He will build us up spiritually and he will build us up with confidence in ourselves." Unquote. You may not think of yourselves as leaders in the cause of Zion, but you are. Your example influences those around you. Your choices influence their choices. You are here at this time for a reason. President Ezra Taft Benson said, quote, Each day we personally make many decisions that show where our support will go. The final outcome is certain. The forces of righteousness will finally win. What remains to be seen is where each of us personally, now and in the future, will stand in this fight. How tall we will stand and how tall we will stand. Will we be true to our last day's foreordained mission? Yes, these are difficult times we live in. Yes, we have struggles to wade through. Yes, as President Henry B. Eyring has said, as the forces around us increase in intensity, whatever spiritual strength was once sufficient will not be enough. But President Eyring goes on to say, and whatever growth in spiritual strength we once thought was possible, greater growth will be made available to us. We are not alone if we choose not to be. The Savior will always be reaching out to us to lift, lift us up. I would never have chosen the trials that I have been given, but I know that the Lord knows the beginning from the end. He loves me, and He loves you, and knows exactly how to strengthen us. I am very glad that I had those experiences because I have learned so much. In fact, the more I learn, the more I realize how little I know. I didn't always make the best choices, but I know that choices are fundamental to our existence and to our success in life. I exhort you to choose to grow toward the Savior. If you do, you will be successful. When we put the Savior first in our lives, everything else literally falls into place. This much I do know. He lives. The Savior knows each of us individually. He knows our name. How great is that? He loves us individually. He saves us individually. He gave His perfect life for us. He wants us to succeed and come home, and He will never, ever stop reaching out after us. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to the Jesus Christ, Our Savior and Redeemer podcast, presented by BYU Speeches. 
Please check out our other podcasts of recent speeches, classic speeches, and BYU speeches compilations on overcoming adversity by study and by faith. Come follow me, love and marriage, and the prophet Joseph Smith. Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on podcasts for more information. You can also find all BYU speeches podcasts at your preferred podcast provider.